Well, church, very appropriate to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. So please turn there. The title of this message is A Heart of Thanksgiving. A Heart of Thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. A Heart of Thanksgiving. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I just want to pray again and ask God's blessing. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my lips, these lips that are (laughs) sinful lips, these lips that have often complained against you, these lips that have violated this text, but, oh God, these lips that praise you for your mercy and grace in finding me and saving me and changing me in the process of change. May what, may what comes forth today be your word, your way, with your anointing to give us hope for change, to turn a bunch of grumbling, complaining, ungrateful people, which is our fallen nature, into a, a bunch of praising, honoring people filled with gratitude who give thanks in all circumstances. By your grace, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, I got up early and was doing some work. And for me, work is usually on the computer, and work involves a lot of email. And so I have my email arranged very, very intricately. I have many, many mailboxes and sub-mailboxes where I'm I'm tucking away emails from many projects, many people that I'm following up on, uh, projects that we're doing in the Dominican Republic and Cuba, projects we're doing here, uh, projects we're doing with preparing for the church plant, um, pastoral situations that I'm dealing with. Many of these emails are complicated and, 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 and they're very necessary. And yesterday morning, I lost them all. Poof. In the blink of an eye. How did that happen? It wasn't my fault. Um, I, I was checking my email. It was early. It, it was, it, I just wasn't paying attention. My battery had run down to almost zero. And as I pushed the button to send an email... In fact, I think I was trying to send one to you, Wally. I don't know if you ever got it. Did it ever get to you? Okay, so they all came to you. So you've got them all. You're holding me hostage, huh? My computer just died because the battery went, you know, it just went. So I thought, oh, no big deal. When I plugged it back in and, and just pushed the one little button and came up, my email account was gone off my computer. I have no idea how that happened. Um, I spent the rest of the day kind of bouncing between different events. We had a youth event, which was a great event. I had some, um, I was preparing for a 50th anniversary celebration that I'm going to be officiating. All the notes for that were in my emails. Uh, I was preparing, we did a rehearsal for that. And then later in the day, I did some sermon prep. And by about 8 o'clock, I finally was able to restore my email account. So I can now get, receive emails and I can send them. But all those emails All that wonderful work of crafting them into all these complicated boxes is gone. It's gone. So, I had the opportunity yesterday to live this passage. Because for me, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say for, it says in. Um, To varying degrees, it was a battle. 
It was a battle. My wife can tell you how much I complained. I'm sure I did um, because she was the one that was there, particularly in the afternoon around 5 when it still wasn't working. And, uh, but, but there was a measure of grace, my friends. And so why do I begin this sermon with this illustration? It, it seems silly, doesn't it? I mean, it's nowhere near. It doesn't compare with you know, what, what Chris and Dawn experienced on that Friday in September, I believe it was. Uh, two, two years ago. No, it doesn't. But it's in these everyday situations that we learn the truths and exercise the muscles of faith and, and, and all that we're going to talk about today that give us the grace to obey this. And then when that, those big ones do hit, we're ready. See, see, change really does come. It's in the details And God will often put you in the school of a mundane, everyday situation so that you might obey his word based on what Christ has done for us. And that very process that we go through in that mundane, everyday situation without even hardly understanding what it is, those are the same truths and the same spiritual muscles that we exercise, the same character we develop that will, of course, be severely tested if our child were diagnosed with cancer. You see, when we look at this text, what do we see? We see a command, what we call an imperative, a command. But it's a command within a string of commands. If you were to read the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, you'll see a bunch of commands. It talks about praying always. There's many commands there. But all those commands are part or or, or are a result of a gospel indicative. So in other words, this imperative, give thanks, that's a command. Okay? It's, it, it, it comes on the heels of a gospel fact or indicative. And I want to highlight that for you just for a moment before we dive into the imperative. And look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. So that we, what we want to establish here are that gospel imperatives, commands... Are, are the product of gospel indicatives or facts. So that God is sharing with us here in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the gospel truth. That is what we hope on and, and live for. Verse 10, Who died for us? Here's the gospel. So that whether we awake or, as- or, or sleep, we might live with him. And look at verse 11. What's the, intend, what's the intended effect of this gospel truth? Verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then in verse 12 is where he starts this, this string of imperatives. So he gives you in 9 and 10 the truths of the gospel. We are dead with Christ. We live with Christ. He saved us. God has saved us from his own wrath. And then in verse 11, he says, I'm sharing this so that you might be encouraged and you might encourage one another and build one another up, even as you're doing, as we were built up by this testimony. And then in verse 12, he gives you this string of imperatives. Because you are saved, this is how you ought to act. And one of those imperatives, verse 18, is the imperative we're going to drop into this morning. Give thanks to God in all circumstances, because we are in Christ Jesus. That's the claim of this text on our life. In fact, let me read it again. 
Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Reading that in light of verses 9 to 11, we, we, we realize that it takes hard work to give thanks in all circumstances. What comes very easy is to complain in all circumstances. What comes very easy is to complain about that person that you maybe don't appreciate right now, or maybe they're not doing what you want them to do, or maybe they've actually hurt you or offended you. What comes very easily is to complain and judge and criticize. What takes work is to give thanks in that circumstance. And so this is the claim of God on our lives. If you're looking at your notes, give thanks to God in all circumstances. God wants to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning with these words. This bracelet right here, it represents a family's battle to give thanks to God in all circumstances. Let it represent your battle to give thanks to God in all circumstances. May you never be faced with the traumatic circumstance of a child who's been diagnosed with cancer. But may you always have the same resolve to give thanks to God in all circumstances, especially those everyday mundane circumstances that tempt you so severely to complain, perhaps that you're facing right now. So let's take a closer look now at the text. Let's look at this this verse, verse 18. And I believe this verse begins with giving us both the recipient of our thanks and the reason for our thanks. The recipient of our thanks is whom? God. This is the will of God. God is issuing the imperative. Therefore, to God must come the thanks. We have so much to thank God for. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, first of all, thanks for coming. I don't know everyone here. Uh, but, but thanks for coming. You, my friend, can give thanks to God for something that is called common grace. It's general revelation. It's the revelation of God's goodness. Did you breathe air today? Well, that's provided to you by God. Did, did the sun shine on your face? Once again, God. There are so many things that all of us, believer, unbeliever, should and can thank God for. As a matter of fact, you should develop in your life the pattern of waking up in the morning and saying, what can I thank God for? I can get out of my bed and walk to the living room. I can walk. I've got food on my table. Just on and on and on. So that's general revelation. That's sort of common grace. But, oh, Christian friend, Christian friend, we have special revelation. What is special revelation? It's what you wouldn't normally see with your physical eyes, but what God opens your eyes to, it's called the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. We have special revelation. We have the grace that is saving grace. We have so much to be thankful for. Hence, the recipient of our thanks is God. The reason for our thanks is Jesus. That is is what this scripture is teaching us. Dear believer, our thanks to God centers on a person, Jesus Christ. He's the reason for our thanks. Giving thanks to God is tied to Christ, not to circumstances. Giving thanks to God is tied to Christ, not to circumstance. You see, the thanks we give depends not on our circumstances, but on Christ. This is the main point of this verse. The key word that is translated give thanks, in the Greek, 
that word conjugated for that tense is eucharistete. And what it means is give thanks. It has a range of meaning, though. Did you know that it could at some time be translated to pray? I think that's because giving thanks and prayer are closely united. But it can also be uh, translated to return thanks, to express thanks, to feel obligated to thank, to be thankful. See, our English word Eucharist comes from the root Greek word Eucharisteo. And what does that word Eucharist mean? Well, if you've grown up in the church, you know that Eucharist is the Lord's Supper, communion. It's the table. It's it's what Jesus said we're to celebrate, to remember his salvific works. Do you see that? And what I think this speaks of, it speaks to God's command to live each day in the shadow of the communion table. Each day remembering God's salvific works in Christ for our sins. Each day letting that inform us more than our circumstances. Now, I had to deal with the circumstances of my email going down. But, but what the context that should inform me of a thankful heart to God in the circumstance is Christ's work on my behalf. I recently heard a message from one of the pastors um, at the Sovereign Grace Conference. His name is Rick Gamash. He's up in Minnesota. And he was giving this illustration. The message was on when pastors suffer. And one of his main texts was Philippians 4. I believe it's 6 and 7. And he just talked about it. He says, you know, he gave this illustration. He says, he's a complainer. He's a grumbler. And particularly when he suffers, he's grumbling. Uh, but, but one of the things he and his wife say to each other is said, well, well honey, at least we're not going to hell. That's humorous, okay? I mean, it's sort of a shortcut. Maybe it's a slap in the face. You know how when you start complaining, it's like people say, would you please stop it? Sometimes you need to just sort of slap someone, not physically, but sort of metaphorically speaking, like, would you please stop complaining? So, okay, so it is a bit of that. But what's he doing? What are they doing at that point? They're trying to bring into play, into the midst of a circumstance that is very uncomfortable, the fact that their giving thanks is dependent on Christ, not the circumstance. They're trying to do it in, in, in the shadow of the table, which the table points to the cross, the death and resurrection of Christ. Do you see that? That's what I believe this text is telling us. The recipient of our thanks is God. The reason for our thanks is Christ. The the very grammar of this passage, and I won't go into the details of it, but the grammar of this passage conditions the imperative of giving thanks to the indicative that we are in Christ. In other words, it could just be give thanks to God in all circumstances because you're in Christ. See, he saved us. God has placed us in Christ. Oh boy, read the book of John. I've been reading that. It's rich. We are in Christ because God placed us there. No man can come to the Son unless the Father draw him. John 6, 44. So because that's true, because I did nothing to be in Christ, that should color my very life. Christians should be thankful people because of this indicative. And God commands us to be thankful in all circumstances. Point two. If the recipient of our thanks is God, and the reason for our thanks is Christ, then the resolve of our thanks is God's will. Look at the text again. This is the will of God. The will of God. Philema is the Greek word there. The will of God. This is, oh, what's God's will for my life? Oh, God, show me your will. Yeah, don't complain on the palmetto when you're in traffic every day. 
had the opportunity to serve one of our older sisters in the church this last week on Wednesday. I, I had the privilege of taking her and caring for her during a very difficult situation that involved the court system downtown. And, and, and she, uh, she has done nothing wrong, but because of some stuff that was done to her, some things had to be adjudicated. She didn't speak English very well, and so I went with her. Well, that meant getting up and driving at 7.45 in the morning from Miami Lakes to downtown Miami. Can I get a witness? Okay. Amen, brother. Twice I had to turn to her and say, I'm so sorry that I'm driving like this. (laughs) God's will for Alpino is to make that drive with thankfulness in his heart rather than grumbling for the person in front of me that has no idea how to drive. None. They shouldn't be driving. Their license should be immediately revoked, suspended. Yes, there you go. But, but what's in my heart? Do you see that? It's one thing to give thanks when it's a huge deal like the Georges. And we can almost brace ourselves for that. Or you lose your job. And I'm not making light of these things. They're very difficult. But I'm sure the Georges would tell you that probably surprisingly... Some of the places where they were most tempted to grumble isn't in the big deal, but every Friday got to go for chemo. And whatever lines they had to stand in and things they had to do, and I'm sure for CJ, the pain of the port. I mean, the grumbling is in the little mundane things. And it's those little mundane things that erode our faith and our witness. And it's those little mundane everyday things, the losing of email, which nowhere compares to cancer. But it's in those places that we have to then trust God. And, and give thanks at a time when we would rather complain. And it's in that moment that we must understand, God does not say, oh, I understand now, tough traffic day, you can go ahead and grumble now. He doesn't. Because this passage tells me it is his will for Alpino to give thanks in all circumstances because he is in Jesus Christ and I placed him there. This is my will. See, our resolve is centered on God's will for us. God's will is the key. Because you are in Christ, friend, you have power given to you by God to carry out His will and to give thanks in all circumstances. Here's the question for application. Pay attention to this. Sit up straight. Listen carefully. This is an Alpino talking. This is God talking. This text tells me this is God talking. Ask those around you what characterizes your life giving thanks to god in all circumstances or complaining in most circumstances do not trust your own evaluation of yourself here do not the heart is wicked and deceitful sin by its nature is deceiving satan is a deceiver and a liar the world well you know the world's all messed up they're not going to tell you the truth But God sees your heart. And your wife hears your words. Or if your husband, if you're a lady, or if you're a child, your parents, or parents, you ask your kids, friends, what characterizes my life? The sweet aroma of thanks, even in the most difficult circumstances? Or the stench of complaining? Sadly, I stand before you 
as a complainer in his old nature, who's been given a new nature in Christ, but complaining is still close at hand. And so I rely on my wife and my friends, the guys on the team, and I'm asking, what characterizes my life, guys? Guys, how am I doing in this area? Day in and day out, am I moaning and groaning, even if half-joking? Or am I thankful, looking for God's grace, looking for how God's working, looking for the good that God has already put in my world, remembering what Christ has done for me, even in the most difficult of circumstances? See, so often we forget these truths when confronted with circumstances that tempt us to complain rather than give thanks. We begin to think wrong thoughts, lies about God, about ourselves, and about others. See, circumstances that are less than desirable test, reveal, expose what we really believe about God, about ourselves and others. I knew it. I knew he really didn't think I was a very good person. I I knew God. God, God. God doesn't know what's going on in my life. I mean, he's got the big picture. He sent Jesus, but he has no idea what's going on in my life. You know, we are kind of like pawns, and God just sort of uses us. I, I, knew, I knew that. You see, when a circumstance comes, then comes the temptation to, to, to think these, well, we probably think them without even knowing it, but when the circumstance comes, it reveals what we really believe, not what we think we believe, what we really believe about God, about ourselves, and about others. And at that moment is when we have to apply the truths of the gospel. Listen, we have to go back to verses 9 and 10. And we have to remind ourselves, for God has not, has not destined us for wrath. I feel like God's wrath is on me right now. But this is not God's wrath. Cancer is not God's wrath on the Georges. It can feel like God's wrath. But it is not. We've got to remind ourselves. But he's, he's destined me to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he placed me in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, 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 and Jesus died for us. So that whether we awake or we're asleep, we might live with him. And we need to encourage one another. Encourage ourselves in these moments. You see, the number one thing The number one lie, and please jot this down. I think this is important. Under that second point, the resolve to give thanks. The number one lie is, is God good? Is God good? Actually, there's a threesome. This is how they work. Okay? They kind of work like this. You know, does God, does he know? Does he care? That's the, is God good? And is it, can he even do anything about it? Does he know? Does he care? Can he do anything about it? He's forgotten me. Is God good? This is the first sin of mankind. Did God really say, Eve, the biblical account of the first man and woman, the biblical account of the fall of mankind is a lie against God and his character. God is not good. He's trying to keep you, Eve, from being like him. Therefore, disregard what he said and go eat of the fruit of that tree. Do what he told you not to do. Because you know what? It's more fun being God than worshiping him. So go ahead and be God, Eve. So the first lie, the first lie that circumstances that are less than desirable expose is, is God good? And, and, and what, what comes in? Just think about what comes in 
to oppose that lie. The lie comes running in like a, like a SWAT team, armed to the teeth, firing automatic weapons and throwing hand grenades. And if you're not ready for that assault, you just get blown away. But what, uh, what combats that? I'll tell you what combats it. The cross of Jesus Christ. That's why the text says, in Christ. It's your, it's God's will for you in Christ, in verse 18. See, what combats it is when I look at the gospel, when I look at Jesus Christ, God himself said it. If you want to see the utmost revelation of me, you look on the cross. That's why Paul says, I preached Christ and him's crucified. That's it. God proved to me that you're good to me. And God simply points to the cross. Jot this this text down. I'll read it to you real quickly. Uh, Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32 says the following. He who did not spare his own son, there's the gospel, but gave him up for us all. How? 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 SWAT team, how? I'm going to oppose you with this truth. I don't care what fire is coming at me. I don't care how prolific it is, how accurate it is, how much it's driving me backwards. I'm on my heels. The blows are raining down on my head. I want to quit. But then I say, no. How will he not also with him freely, graciously give us all things? In fact, Romans 8 is a great place to camp if this is a battle for you right now. 8.28. God, God works all things together. For his glory and our good. Romans 8, 32 and, and 33 and on. It, it just talks about he, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ because God put me in Christ and no one can take me out of Christ. God trumps everything and he proved his love, his goodness on the cross. But that fades into the distance when you're really suffering, doesn't it? Because what you want to say is, God, do you know? God, do you care? And God, even if you know and care, can you do anything about it? You see, see another lie about God <clears throat> that prevents us from giving thanks is we don't honor him as creator. We don't honor him as creator. We doubt God's sovereignty. There's no time in this message to go into that. We did teach on the sovereignty of God, and I look forward to teaching on it again as it arises in the text that we're preaching through. But friends, God is our creator. We combat these unbiblical thoughts with truth. Flip over to Psalm 115.3 or or just jot it down. I'm just trying to... This is what I do, guys. In the the military, they they taught us something called combat drill. What combat drill is, is they teach you what to do in an emergency when typically, if you don't just do it automatically, you die. One of those emergencies is an ambush. So combat drill teaches you when you're marching through wherever you're going and you're ambushed, what does human nature tell you? Run away from the, where you're being ambushed. Well, the, the bad guys know that. So they set even more ambushes as you're running away and then you, you're destroyed. It's against your nature to turn to the ambush and run screaming like a crazy man right into the bullets. But as, if you do make it through the bullets, immediately you're out of the kill zone because they don't anticipate that. That's called battle drill. So what we're doing now with these scriptures is battle drill. See, you've got to do battle drill. You've got to train over and over like a football player or any kind of musician, whatever metaphor you want to use. You've got to train over and over and over and over and over. So you have these well-worn scripture paths, these paths that you walk down. Bam, circumstances hit. I've got a path that I walk down. 
I go to Romans 8, 32. I, I, I go to Romans 8, the, the end of chapter 8. I go to, I go to Psalm, now we're going to go right now to Psalm 115, 3. I, 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 get, I get on these paths and I start walking down them because I know I've got to fight. I've got to fight the assault on God that's going to try to get me to just complain against Him. Okay? Look at Psalm 115, 3. Psalm 115.3 says the following. <clears throat> Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I mean, keep it simple, by the way, okay? Yeah, I, I, I'm a simple guy. You can memorize that. That's not too hard for you. Our God is in the heavens. First of all, it talks about the sovereignty of God and then his providence or his will, and he does all that he pleases. Another one you can jot down along that little path is Psalm 24.1. Psalm 24.1. These are psalms that speak of God's sovereignty. Uh, Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's. There again, his sovereignty. And the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell, who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Friends, we must recapture. We must become convinced of the doctrine of creation. Why do you think there is such a fight against creationism? Why do you think there's such a battle against that? Crazy stuff. Again, no time to go into that, but there's been documentaries about it. And if you're going to study sciences in the graduate level at universities and you're a Christian and believe in creationism, look out. You're going to be a target. Why? Because it's the battle against God. If he's not creator, if he's not sovereign, then I'm going to complain. Because I've got to make it happen. I've got to make it happen. Second, there are many other ways we can go into this. I'll leave, I'll leave it to you and the Lord as he directs you how to fight against this. God isn't good. God isn't all-knowing and God isn't all-powerful. He doesn't, he doesn't know, he doesn't care, and he can't do anything about it. You've got to fight that with biblical text about who God is. But secondly, the second bit of wrong thinking that we have is about ourselves. So firstly, we think wrongly about God, then we think wrongly about ourselves. We must, we must, this is under the second point, our resolve to give thanks in all things. We must think of ourselves as who we are in Christ. That's so simple. But we forget it all the time, don't we? We must think of ourselves as who we are in Christ. We, the Bible, particularly the New Testament, is constantly telling us, be who you are. Stop acting like the pagan. It's the pagan who does not know God, who is screaming and yelling and, and making hand gestures at everybody on the Palmetto or on I-95. He's the one that's cutting people off and swearing. And, and, you know, it's always so funny to see those guys. And when you get finally at the end, he's right next to you because, you know, he got caught by 15 lights between there and there. Not that you ever, like, self-righteously judge that guy. But if you did, like me, there's a, a bit of justice there. We shouldn't be doing that. But we do, don't we? Your laughter betrays you. We do. We do. And if we don't do it in traffic, we do it in life. Okay? And we forget God's in control. He does know. He does care. And he can do something about it. But he's allowing it to happen to grow your faith so that you would be thankful to him in all circumstances. So, what's the bottom line here? Very simple, you can just jot this down. A heart of gratitude is a humble heart. A heart of gratitude is a humble heart. I believe that's what this text 
is pointing to, though it's not taught explicitly here. There are many places we can go. First um, Peter 5, where it talks about trusting the Lord, not being anxious in anything, but trusting Him because He cares for you. I believe that's a humble heart. No time to go into more scriptures. I'll leave that up to you. But here's the deal, guys. Here's the sad part. Proud people, proud people complain a lot. Ouch. I'm a really proud person. See, because a proud person thinks it's all up to them. A proud person is way overestimates his or her ability to get things done. Humble people are grateful people. Proud people are complaining people. Deal with your grumbling heart immediately and daily. For grumbling and complaining, they're our greatest enemies when obeying God's command to give thanks in all circumstances. By nature, by fallen nature, friends, we are ungrateful people. There's a passage in 2 Timothy 3.2 that at the end times people will be ungrateful, complaining, haters. But Christ has given us a new nature. Back to our passage. In Christ, God's will is for us to give thanks. Outside of Christ, it's just simply not possible. But in Christ, it's not only possible, it's commanded by God. And finally, the third wrong thinking place would be how we think of others. And I felt like this one was one that had legs for this sermon. In other words, as I was preparing the sermon, I think that some, some of you might really be wrestling with this. What do I mean by that? We complain not about a circumstance, but, by, but about a person, which is a circumstance. When it says all circumstances, all means all. And so that means people as well. So I think this third one is, is are you thinking wrongly about others? which can tumble from thinking wrongly about God and thinking wrongly about yourself. But when you think wrongly about others, here's the challenge. Are you thinking of others with a divine perspective? Are you thinking of others with a divine perspective? Again, a proud person complains a lot, and he's very critical and judgmental. And so the way he defines people is not according to who they are in Christ, as our passage talks about, but he defines them as he judges them, often apart from what God can do in their lives. But I believe this text is calling us to develop a divine perspective of of others. Look for God's activity, God's will for those in Christ, God's activity in those around you. Listen, even an unbeliever who you are relating to, you don't know what God's will is for them. You don't know but that they might be the elect, an elect person, someone who God has chosen from before the foundation of the earth. Certainly a believer. God has acted on this person. God has saved them. Are you more aware of God's prior activity or are you aware of their present deficiencies? Do you see people in faith? Are you aware of what God has done, is doing, and will do? See, that's what I believe it means. Give thanks in all circumstances. Put all people. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He put you in Christ Jesus. So, so he's talking about don't complain. Uh, don't, don't critically bury people under your judgments. Even if what you're seeing is true, Doubt yourself that what you can't see is God's ability to change them. We are so 
good at seeing what's wrong in others. We're not as good at seeing what's wrong with us, but we're so good at seeing what's wrong with others. I can walk into a room and tell you 15 deficiencies that are in that room. But ask me to show you what's right. The evidences of God's grace, however small, and it's harder. See, proud people, proud people do not have a divine perspective. Their perspective is enough, thank you very much. I don't need God's. I got mine. Mine's pretty good. It's worked all my life. I'm going to take, I'm going to stay with mine. And maybe God has given you some level of discernment. But oh friend, you're not God. You don't know what God's going to do in their life. Do you have faith for them? Can that faith turn your grumbling and complaining against them because they're not growing fast enough? They're not giving you what you want. They're actually hurting you. They're sinning against you. They're withholding things from you. Whatever it might be, can you see what God's doing? And so grow to be a thankful person. Well, what's the application of all this? Here it is, friends. Thanksgiving is always in response to God's work of grace in our lives or in others. It is our response to God's saving work completed on the cross. I love what the Georgia said. What he's done is completely done. See, that, the response to God's saving work, to the completed work on the cross, verified in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that is the ground for thanksgiving. See, See, giving thanks is never the first word. The first word is what Christ has done for us. Then the second word is give thanks. Give thanks in light of what Christ has done. Give thanks to God in all circumstances. You know that the Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, much of the uh, epistles, Thessalonians being one of them, God using him, he mentions the subject of thanksgiving more often than any writer of his time either pagan or Christian. There's an enormous amount of times when he's talking about thanksgiving. It's a high priority to God. It was a high priority to Paul. Is it a high priority for you? Is it a high enough priority for you that those around you would say, you know what? Al, Al really works at giving thanks. Thanksgiving is a high priority for Al Pino. Is it for you? Would those around you say that you place a high priority on Thanksgiving? See, all circumstances, it covers everything in, in our lives. A command that big that covers everything can lose its call on us if we don't take the time to drill down and identify the specific circumstances in which God is calling you to give thanks. And so please, take the time to think through what specific circumstances God is calling you to give thanks in. As I was preparing this message, as I mentioned to you earlier, I just felt that relationships, grumbling about other people, always critical about others. No one can ever do it well enough for you. You walk in the room and you're just like a human fault finder. You're like a Geiger counter that goes nuts when it gets around radiation. You get around someone that's got a deficiency, you go nuts. People can hear, it's in your eyes, it's in your face, it's in your words, it's in your attitude, it's in your condescension, it's in your self-righteous judgments. And no one wants to be around that. And sadly, that fails to accomplish what it says in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. It's like you're a human demolition ball. And you know what? What you're knocking down probably needs to be knocked down. Really. But there just isn't the faith to rebuild. And God is saying, 
I believe God's saying this to a lot of us. Learn to be thankful. Now, for some of these people, learn to be thankful for people. For some of these people, you love them and you appreciate them. You love them a lot. But you know, maybe it's been a while since you've communicated to them how thankful you are for them. Consider communicating to them in very specific ways how and why you are thankful for them. This may be done face-to-face. In fact, I would encourage that. Perhaps during this holiday season, you'll be seeing people. Actually, start with the people you see every day. But this may be some people you don't see every day. Or an email or a phone call if they're not in the city. But for others of us, and this is probably the majority, the people God wants us to be thankful for, the people God wants us to say, I give thanks in this circumstance, are people that are more difficult. They've disappointed us. They haven't given us what we wanted. They've offended us. Some of you have been very, very hurt. Sinned against. But God's will for you, friend, God's will for you because he puts you in Jesus Christ is to give thanks in that circumstance. And this heart, this heart that gives thanks and puts to death critical grumbling and complaining and fault-finding is, brings great glory to God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So the question for application number two, first question is, I think it's on your notes, would people say that Thanksgiving is a high priority for you? Second one is, what does it look like for you to give thanks to God in all circumstances? What does it look like for you to give thanks to God in all circumstances? God's will for you in Christ is to do just that. Think on this and give thanks to God, my friends. Let's pray.